Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hi everyone, welcome to our latest episode of Anthropotamus. And today for our book discussion, we'll be discussing Wade Davis's The Wayfinders, Why Ancient Wisdom Matters in the Modern World. Dr. Davis is a professor at the University of British Columbia. He has research interests in indigenous knowledge and environment and landscapes. So this book, really, if you are into cultural anthropology and different world perspectives, this is the book for you. I don't even know where to start off. Less. Well, let, let's start off by um, acknowledging the elephant in the text. Uh, so what, one of the things that stood out most to me was the, um, the okay, well, actually, <laughs> let me backtrack a little bit because that's going to, that, okay. So I was going to initially talk about, what was it, the, the people of the anaconda, but that's like, that's a whole, that's a whole can of worms that, you have, it, that he led up to. <laughs> More specifically, I was going to talk about how that contradicts the underlying hypothesis of how South America was populated, that it could have been via the wayfinders, Polynesian cultures, landing on the, the shores, which honestly entirely makes sense when you when, when you, he goes through it. It's like, how could this have not even occurred to me? Honestly, I don't even remember that part. Which part was that? <laughs> was it the beginning or the end? <laughs> Which part of the book was that? Because I sort of remember him talking about it, but for some reason, I can't remember that part. That happened. He started talking about that. He didn't actually um, say that that was how it was people. That was during the part that he was speaking in depth on the Polynesian cultures. Um, I thought he was just saying that's how they got to Hawaii or something. Well, that's where it started. He was talking about Hawaii. He was talking about the Cook Islands and, and how they were navigating the Pacific in general. And then shortly after that, he went into the um, his time in his time spent in the Amazon and speaking to different people and how there were accounts from some of the people that were spoken to about their creation mythos. And how they came from, uh, from I don't remember if he said the east or the west, but it makes sense that they would have come from the west. Um, they came from the west on giant, uh, on a giant serpent, and the the way that he was describing it, he related to how the Polynesians described following the stars, and uh, it was like, wait a minute, are you trying to say that that Polynesians populated the? Um, the, the entirety of South America and if that's the case that's really amazing okay that was the beginning but I mean but then doesn't he start discussing DNA and the connection of DNA to uh, whatever part of Asia I thought he brought that up I, but maybe I was up, listening to something else <laughs> he did bring up DNA but I think that it was uh, in relation to a previous scholar who had been trying to categorize the uh, the people of like Polynesia in general as like somebody somebody actually tried to say that Polynesians were from Europe I don't remember that but to be fair um, I listened to the beginning of this book two weeks ago so I don't remember a lot of the beginning 
I don't remember. Yeah, I'm just going to say I don't remember the specifics. I just remember him talking about them um, traveling through the Pacific to these islands. And it just it kind of reminded me of uh, a discussion I had in like my bio ant seminar. And <laughs> um, even like in uh, my daughter's curriculum uh, a couple years ago when I was teaching her and using Curiosity Chronicles, they discuss how people, you know, travel through the Pacific to the island, different islands. But um, I don't re- specifically remember him saying that they had populated the western coast of the Americas. I don't think he specifically said it. Here's the thing about this book. This was the one thing about the book that confused me. He keeps going from one culture to another. Yeah, he jumped around a lot. I think that's what's making this confusing. So let's talk about that. The book was incredibly interesting, but it was difficult to follow. <laughs> and honestly, I... Okay, so yes, you kept going from one culture to the next. And I, I sometimes I'd have to like stop and rewind, press the 30 seconds back button and be like, okay, wait, who are we talking about again? Because um, that part did get confusing, but I wonder if it's because I was listening to it instead of actually reading it. And like, you know, when you're reading it, it'll break sections up and you know what I mean? So if like I'm going from one paragraph and then now I'm starting talking about a new culture and you see it's a new paragraph, I think your mind automatically knows the topic is changing. Whereas if you're listening to it, you don't see that change. You just hear it and then you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? So the medium is a little bit difficult for you to follow then? Yes, I think depending on how the paragraphs were structured in the actual text, I don't think it would have been as confusing. And if there's subtitles for each section when he switches to a new culture, I think that would have made it less confusing, but I haven't actually seen the book. So, yeah. Yeah, I didn't read the physical book either, but, um, and I'm not going to lie, I listened to this on 1.7 times speed. <laughs> uh, so, but the thing is, he sounded normal. Mm. Yeah, it was, I, at one point, I went up to 1.5, and the voice still seemed reasonably like normal it was it was fast but it wasn't like oh my god he's speaking too fast the reader was was kind of slow i feel like there's a lot of slow readers i don't like that he took he took his time (laughs) (laughs) yeah he did and i felt like it was a lot of emotion when he was talking about all these different things so it was kind of like you could make this a lot more interesting if you change the tone of your voice I wouldn't have noticed. It, I was going fast enough that uh, tone didn't really make much of an impact unless he was really emphasizing something. Oh, I always start the books off at either the regular speed or 1.2. Um, I don't speed it up until like we're about to record and if I haven't finished the book. But um, yeah, I think, um, you know, we talked a lot about the different pers- different perspectives, right? Every culture has their own perspective of the world. Um, I can't remember which culture it was. Oh, I think it was the Australian Aboriginals. Is it, uh-huh. is, or is it Aboriginals? Is that the right term? Aboriginal, I believe. Okay, so I'm not positive. I can, let me Google Aboriginal, I guess. But 
um, Aboriginal should it is the term that they use for the native people in Australia, but it's also a term that is applied to native peoples in general. Well, we're talking about Australia, and he discusses how to them a dream, dreams aren't just dreams; they're just like another part of the world or another world. It's real, and how they don't see see time in a linear fashion like we do. There is no future, present, or past. It's just you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what term to use for that. Um, but it kind of made me think back to when we read um, Braiding Sweetgrass and how she discusses a lot about, you know, d- your different, your, the culture you bring up is in really changes your perspective on how you see the world. And it discusses a lot about how other cultures see nature as being a part of nature and how, uh, it brings life, whereas Western cultures, you know, destroy it. And they don't see the significance in preserving it. Uh, but, it, I mean, it really made me think back to, you know, braiding sweetgrass and how all these a lot of these cultures have similarities in how they perceive nature and life. And um, But, yeah, that was just a connection I made to our past reading. Yeah. It, I was thinking something similar. I didn't actually think of um, Braiding Sweet Grass, but I was thinking something similar when he was like juxtaposing the way modern society views life versus the way a lot of these these other cultures are viewing it. The, like specifically, we can talk about the way he was talking about um, Buddhism and Buddhism's philosophy. Like what he was trying to say is that the 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 main main difference between like uh, modernity, I think, is the term that he used. Like modern society versus these other societies, is uh, we tend to sacrifice our spiritualism is not the right word, but um, our introspection in favor of like industrialism. And I, I know he didn't say it in those specific words, but that seems like what he was trying to convey. I, I think this is a, a topic that is brought up a lot, but. Um... I really like the way he presented in the book where he talks about how you have these Western societies coming to colonize these cultures and they think they're helping the, you know, indigenous people by trying to get them to assimilate into their culture and justifying their destruction of their environment and culture and way of life. And uh, there was basically there was somebody who came in was like I could think came to talk to NATO or some some group and was like you know you're trying to get us to assimilate and have job give us jobs and blah 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 but until you came we didn't have to have jobs our way of life was fine yeah that that was one of my favorite quotes from it is like um the government saying that this these logging companies will provide us with jobs why do we need jobs this the the forest has always provided us with what we needed and as and we continue to do so but if we have these jobs the forest will disappear along with the jobs mhm yeah i mean how is how does that make any sense to 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 the these groups their entire lives their their way of living the satisfaction that they get from these ways of living is contingent upon this forest and yet the government is trying to persuade them that um, they can trade modern comforts, right? Momentary 
comforts for a life of what like living in a uh, a broken down apartment building doing strenuous labor <laughs> doing strenuous labor on a daily basis one of the quotes that he was talking about he's saying let them live in the um the ritz with steaks every single day and see if they want to go back to that and then it was like in as in point of fact a group from this culture did get sent to new york and was staying in a, a, a different hotel and they did not get steaks every day <laughs> <laughs> like i don't even know how that would be a good example like you do realize normal people do not live in fancy houses and do not get steaks every day you're asking them to lower their their uh style of living or i can't think of the word right now but it's like how like what world do you come from to think that people just you know have steaks every day and think that's going to change people's minds or i don't know well let's let's look at that let's examine what world this person came from (laughs) i don't know specifically what what um world they came from i don't remember what uh, i think it was um I, I don't want to go into it because I don't want to misquote it, but um, they clearly come from a modern society. Yeah, mm-hmm. the majority of modern society, if you're living above the poverty line, is going to be in some kind of rented domicile, right? So you've got apartments, you've got maybe a rented house or some other thing like that, right? And that's where the majority of your income goes. But you've got you've got your walls, you've got your insulation. You've got your stove, right? And most places will have like a microwave. That's probably what this person is using to cook on a, on a regular basis. Unless they're like ridiculously rich and they're like completely out of touch, which could be true. But um, from what I can tell, in their mind, that statement makes me think that in their mind, living in a society where you don't have a prefabricated house is a major step down and it's not even just like I, th- I think this person obviously missed the point of what makes their life you know and their culture what it is is you know they discuss how they share with each other you know um and how, you know, they went to, I don't know, whatever Western country they were at, like Canada or the United States or something, and they were like, they didn't understand why there was homelessness because in their culture, everyone shares and everyone takes care of each other. There is no homeless people. Like, I, I, it's like, I just, it's so frustrating. I guess, I don't know, we should be used to this by now. It's just people not getting that, you know, material objects do not define happiness. Yes, having what you need can reduce stress and create a happier life for you. But if the forest is giving you the things you need and you have the people providing for each other and you haven't come from a culture of always telling you you should want more, then, I mean, why are you trying to force that on people? I remember him talking about, you know, Amazon women and that guy who supposedly found these Amazon women and told this like whole myth about it. Uh, and then he was talking about the evolution of language and how people are like, oh, why can't everybody just speak the same language? And he's all like, yeah, that'd be great. But instead of English, how about they speak this language or that language? You know, and then people are always like, well, no, I want everybody to speak English. 
they were talking they talked a lot about the erasure of these tribal cultures these these um other mm-hmm. cultures in favor of the homogenizing modernity group and i'm using air quotes and all of that jazz but uh like they actually mentioned margaret mead and her her worst fear uh was that the rest of mankind or mankind will eventually transform into this single homogenized group and nothing special will ever come from anywhere else because we're all the same yeah yeah i mean it really just boiled down to you know how you have all these cultures that have all these different unique perspectives of the world and time and space and here we are these dominant civilizations trying to take over and have these people assimilate and erasing their language and culture um I mean, I mean, I feel like that's that's the gist of it. Well, okay. So something positive. Let's end on a positive note. Um, and I'm just gonna to do that. I'm just gonna say uh, my favorite part of the book was when he was talking about specifically the wayfinders and how they how they were able to navigate the seas and be able to find all these islands long before European sailors and the fact that Europeans couldn't fathom they couldn't fathom that uh, this group had built all these different societies and all these different islands it had to be they had to somehow be attributed to some mythical uh, society on this other continent that didn't even exist the the hubris involved in that was it, you know it is amazing the ingenuity that it would have taken for for these people to figure out how to navigate across the vastness of the ocean with nothing more than uh well with nothing more than you know a few people and somebody who knew what stars to look for that I mean that that's just it's incredible, and I felt like that's kind of like, and and I feel like history kind of repeats itself in that way where you have, you know, Westerners coming into these cultures, and they see certain advancements and they're like, oh, these people couldn't have done this to have be some other white people that came before us, and it's like, how many times have we heard this story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And- I think when you say history repeats itself, you mean to say um, Westerners repeat themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's a common story, and for all that it's for what it's worth, um, you know, being somebody who is of European descent, uh, the ingenuity that Europeans had is also amazing. It's just very, very different, and they they definitely thought of themselves as the only people who did anything worthwhile, which was, I mean, realistically their uh, their downfall, their our detriment, really. It's to to our detriment because once you start believing that you're the only one that matters, or your thoughts are the only things that matter, you stop inviting 
new curiosities. You stop looking at um, the world in new ways, and eventually you stop becoming. You, you stop being so ingenuitive, if that's even a word. Um, I get what you say. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's just you're one of those things where it's like you're closing the door to other possibilities. Exactly, exactly that. Man, I don't, I don't, I don't really have much else to say. I mean, I did have something to say, and then I forgot what I was gonna say, and now I can't remember. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, the book has a lot of great examples of different cultures around the world. The one about was it the Tibetan monks? Oh my god, that one about the Tibetan monks and then how they like, they're like, all they do is like sleep three hours a night and only have like a bowl of noodles and a ball of rice or something. And then they go through this period of like no sleeping or eating for nine days while they meditate. And like, there are so few people who have ever actually been able to succeed at that. I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Why haven't I heard of this before? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Um, that's not the way that I would choose to live, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either, but man, those guys got like some, like to be able to do that. And for those who actually make it through that nine days, like, wow, like you have like a, like a strong, not only bodies to be able to handle that, but like, you know, mental strength. To able to like push yourself through that yeah even if i wouldn't choose to live that way if that's the way that they want to live and that's what's going to cause them to i mean really what what is it what does it matter how they live if if it makes them happy if that's a their version I mean, of success and it's not hurting anybody there you go i mean there are some things out there that people do that definitely do hurt people that we accept mm-hmm. and, and i'm not going to get into anything in specific but there's like there are cultural practices out there that are completely normalized that cause individuals lifelong harm mm-hmm. and we let that go why can't we just let somebody spend their time in peace well i think that's more than what i have to say (laughs) i think that's a good ending all right well thank you everybody for listening to our latest episode we were discussing the wayfinders why ancient wisdom matters in the modern world don't forget to check us out on instagram or twitter at anthropotamus or at our website www.anthropotamus.com we will soon be having all our podcasts up on youtube as well thank you until next time bye Thank you all for listening. Distribution of Anthropotamus is in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Please continue to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.